Okay, here we go. Whoa, okay, here we go, here we go. Hey, stand right where you are, stand right where you are. Let's pray and then we'll catch up a little bit. Here we go, one, two, three. Lord God, Heavenly Father, who of your divine mercy spared not your only Son, but gave him up for us, gave him up to death on the cross, we beg you now, send your Holy Spirit into our hearts that we are comforted by his grace and conform to it, that we be on guard against sin and patiently bear whatever you send us to suffer. Through Christ our Lord, amen. All right, good to see you. Happy Palm Sunday. It was great to have all the kids early. Bukes was brilliant. Music was fantastic. Thanks very much. Um, life's good. Just a bunch of things to think about. We'll try to we'll try to tie up a lot of loose ends today. So the first thing is no class next week for Easter and then no class the following week because a lot of our Sunday school teachers are gone. It's spring break for kids. It's also low Sunday in the church. I know you don't observe this particular feast day, but it is the, the Sunday after Easter is the lowest attended Sunday in the church across the world, so much so that it's gotten the name Low Sunday for as in low attendance, as in nobody shows up, but that's not you. I know you'll be here. Nevertheless, uh, you have two weeks off from Sunday school as well, so it's, it's important to know you don't have Sunday school in two weeks either. We just don't have enough folks to keep things going, okay? If you put some money in the basket, we will send that to Spain. Is that right? All right, so Spain, uh, we'll send that off. Normal stuff, you know, tender giving. Uh, I hope your fasting is going well. You're almost to the end. Pay attention to that. Say your prayers this week. Come to church. So nothing on Wednesday, but then Thursday morning, of course, and then evening at 7, Friday, again, morning and at 7, and then Saturday the vigil. If you want to come for the vigil, and if you stay till the end, then you can take Sunday morning off. But if you leave early you got to come back and redo, okay? No, it's, it's, it's all good. Or you can go to both. Yes, my wife is a huge proponent of going both. You're lucky she's not your pastor. You'd be coming to, you'd be coming to church twice as often as you do now, okay? So, or maybe that'd be a good thing. I'm not sure. Uh, let's see. Questions about anything else? Am I forgetting anything? So give some money to the poor. Keep going. We're almost there. Easter and then anything else we've got to pay attention to? No? You're all good? All right, we'll see uh, if we can put together a couple things. So I gave you a range of hands out, but we should just grab a Bible, open it up, uh, at least so you can see where we've been. We'll do a little bit of Hebrews 11 and then into 12 today. So you remember how this story goes. Uh, the Lord speaks words to us, and then in these last days he's spoken to us by a son. He's spoken to us by his word, big W. And so the word has a place in the church, you know, the primary reference with a big W is to Christ himself, not, not to spoken words. You know, we're not fundamentalists in that sense. First we believe in Jesus, then we believe the rest, or the divine word, the Logos from eternity, the only begotten Son, speaks to us in the flesh and blood, right? Hebrews 1. And so Christ puts himself into the church. How does he put himself into the church? And I give you the confessions quote there that sometimes gets forgotten. He puts himself by his spot, by his office, by his priesthood, kingship, puts himself there as creator, puts himself for you, right? How does he do that? He always hears speaking words to you and here always touching you. And I've tried to break down, you know, over the years, I've tried to break down a little bit at least this notion between word and sacrament, which is a distinction without a difference. That great TED Talk where the, where the woman, the scientist says, uh, sound is touch at a distance. 
And so really the gospel is when Jesus touches you physically, tangibly, in a fleshly way. That touch comes when he speaks to you. I forgive you all your sins. It comes when he touches you, rise and walk, or now you can see, or, you know, um, don't fear. Right? So all of that happens. So Jesus, the word eternal, who words it to us in scripture, in baptism, in absolution, in Eucharist, and all the rest. Okay? So I'm already, and I'd like you to be proud of me about this, point number three on my outline today. I've not only followed my outline, one, two, three, I've actually done that within the first three minutes. I just want to, because it's not going to be this good the rest of the time, so let's just try to all stick together here, okay? Um, it's all right. Now i got, I got to... No, no, it's all, it's all good, all right? So um, one of the things, and I think you're kind of over this by now, so that's good, but it's always good to remember that you can't, and this is the very last thing on the very last handout, which is you can't sort of pull apart the notion of, um, you know, God being good to you and um, leading a good life. Although the, the distinction in the sermon today between gift and reward is something you should tuck away. That was very helpful. Uh, that's, that's a very, very uh, uh, thank you God versus thank you me. That's a genius little way of saying it. So, and that's a, that's a heart-wrenching story. I mean, the story they use today is really quite, quite something. But this whole notion that God gives and we receive, or God promises and we believe, and you know that we get gifts now, but it's always toward the future. That we're, you know, it's it's now, but not yet. We're on the way. Also, this these all these notions between the seen and the unseen, and the objective and the subjective, and and you know how history works. There's time now, and that pushes us into timelessness, if you will, with Christ. All of that is going on in Hebrews 11. So we read these long stories. Um, and great examples about all these people who have gone before you and God's favored them. And, you know, it's, it's rhetoric. It's, it's an appeal to your heart. It's an appeal to your mind. This, this story is your story. What's going to happen at the vigil is we're going to say, this story is your story. Here we go. This story is your story. Okay. And um, I've given you, a, a John Kleinig did a nice translation. I, I think it might be his translation of of a couple of things which I just, I just printed out for you. I probably should just look at it since I printed it for you. But this one that says, uh, that starts at the top, our Lutheran confessions, right? So, by these good works, Christ sanctifies hearts and suppresses the devil. And that's, you should always remember that. I mean, one of the things that a good work does, it doesn't just please God because you've done it, but it also suppresses evil. It, it takes the oxygen out of evil's room, or it gets in evil's way. Uh, you should always, even even your smallest good works done in the name of Jesus and prompted by the Holy Spirit, that pushes back the darkness. It it takes away, it takes away evil, right? And then there was a lot of talk about the saints. And you remember a few weeks ago I preached about the saints, how to be killed in hatred of the faith. You know, our confessions say those are people that we follow. We follow people who have been martyrs. We love the saints because they're good examples to us. That's how the Lutheran Confessions talk. And so, you know, from then till now, um, the saints have done great things, right? And so it's helpful to hear how holy men administered public affairs, right? It's, it's great to hear how people went through life. You can do it too. It can be yours. Okay, we've been, we've been through all of that. Um, and repeatedly then we've talked about all the better things, and I've kind of summed it there for you, better, better access to God, um, a better family, you're part of God's divine family now, a better resurrection, being a better end when you're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. So having said all that, I'm all the way to point four, 
which is I want to try to convince you something that usually takes, again and again, takes convincing, which is this is always the time of year when the argument about a full cross or an empty cross comes up. And really, if you, if you default um, by your nature to an empty cross, uh, it's not the history of the church, it's not even Lutheran. And it's, it's, it's really given up a lot. You, you've, if you default to an empty cross, I mean, so I'll just sum it up for you this way. Proof of the resurrection is not an empty cross. Proof of the resurrection is an empty tomb. The cross is full. And the cross is full in confession of what Jesus does there. And there's a long Lutheran tradition of meditating on your death and Christ's death together and, how, and the consolation of your death. And I, wanna, I just want to review that for you because that's not, a popular, that's not a popular view here where we live. But if you just look, I mean, this is, we came out of 11. If you go to Hebrews 12, okay? I mean, this is, uh, we don't sing it here because we use a different set of propers. But this is the, this is the um, gradual that's appointed for the Lenten season. We probably maybe should sing it sometime. It's so beautiful. Therefore, since, um, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's right. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that's chapter 11, let us lay, away, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. So these things that tangle us up. We've just had a long list of things where people didn't get tangled up, where they pushed through and did the right thing, even though it killed them. And so last week, the story of Eleazar being you know, skinned alive and those kids being fried up in a hot pan in front of their mother because they wouldn't give up the faith, right? And let us run with perseverance. Keep going, keep going, right? And the, great, the sermon, the great thing about the sermon this morning is you accept no substitutes, right? Keep the brand pure, right? This, this confusion about what God is doing and why he's doing it. There, there couldn't be anything more anti the cross than a prosperity gospel, right? And it was greatly delivered this morning. Lay aside everything that sort of holds you back and let us run with perseverance the race set before us. Follow me. This is where we're going. Follow me. This is where I get glorified. All this talk about Jesus talks about, and when I am glorified, and when I am glorified, and when I am lifted up, then I am glorified. So the glory is actually in the cross. The glory, Jesus says, all the way there, the glory is when he's nailed to the cross. The glory isn't simply, you know, he's risen from the dead. Jesus says, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to me. My glory is when I'm nailed to the cross. The glory is in a full body on the cross. And that needs to be a great resource for you and for me. You know, you used to sneak away and watch dark shadows when you were a kid. I know you did before your mom came home. She told you not to watch that, but you'd be scared. But you did watch it, didn't you? And you younger people, then you watched the remake of Dark Shadows, didn't you? Was it HBO or Netflix? What was it? And when the vampire comes in the room, what do you do? What do you do? Now, don't act like you didn't watch it. What do you do? <laughs> you hold up a crucifix, right? Well, that's not just, you know, it does in fact protect you. When you speak the name of Jesus out loud, it makes the devil plug his ears. Crucifix. The sight of a crucifix. Why somewhere in your house have a crucifix blessed and hang it up. The sight of a crucifix, the devil has to avert his eyes. You remember in the early church when they said, when you're baptized, you know, the cro- when the cross is put on your forehead, this is Chrysostom, the cross shoots out like lightning before you, right? Like those new cars with the laser beam that stop you know, things before they would crash into it. It shoots out. Lightning, it says. And the devil can never take you on full face once you've been baptized. It's a remarkable thing. 
all the things that are packed into the cross. You remember the margin comments I gave you about in the early church about guys who would travel and go into rooms or go into places where everyone else would be devoured by the demons and they sit down and relax and invoke the name of Jesus, right? There's so much there that we don't have. Well, it's clear why. I mean, from Hebrews, but also from Lent, from this week, why this matters. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him. So there is a joy beyond the cross. I'm not saying, of course, that the the cross is enjoyable, that it's fine. It's horrible to, to be in total darkness, to be damned. I mean, what happens on the cross on Good Friday is the Father damns the Son. I mean, that is just, that's a brutal, it's a brutal day in so many ways, right? It's a dark, dark day, and yet it's not the end of the story, right? For the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. So he'll endure it, but not, uh, not enjoy it, or endure it, but not embrace it, despising its shame. And now he's seated at the right hand of God. And up to now in Hebrews, the whole thing has been telling you, you're seated at the right hand of God too. That's your spot. You're part of the family. You've got a better life. You've got better access. Your prayers are better because you move closer. You can free. Remember we said we did the Sunday about you can speak freely what's ever on your mind. And then God takes the, your concerns as his concerns and you can be unburdened. Right? They're not your burdens anymore once you give them to God. Okay, that's all here. Um, I just want to read for you. I don't, I'm not sure that you had. Let's see. So did I do this? I guess, I guess one other thing I'll say to you is what I said here at point three, which is on your own meditations on death. John Gerhard wrote a great book about meditations on death. His wife died, one of his children died. You know, Luther had several children that died. They were much more familiar with death in some ways than we were because it came so quickly. You know, Luther was spirited off and baptized immediately at the church on St. Martin's Day because when the infant mortality rate is 50% or 70%, when your kids die, you know, seven in ten times your kids die right away, you get them baptized, and you're very grateful for that. They were much more familiar, in some sense, uh, with death than we are. And they took it, um, they took it much, uh, well, it was much closer. There was some, sometime in the last few days, there was an editorial by a Jewish woman, I think it might have been the Wall Street Journal this week, toward the end of the week, about uh, a woman caring for her grandmother who died on the Sabbath, so therefore nobody else can move except the family and these people who come and sit with the body. The body can't be moved during the Sabbath, so they take turns sitting with the body. So there's your dead grandmother in, in, in bed for an entire day. And then you sit with it, and you take shifts, and you pray. And then only a day later do people come, and from the congregation, not, not the professional folks, from the congregation, there are people in the congregation who've been sorted out for their spiritual maturity. Men prepare and wash men. Women prepare and wash women. And, you know, take them then. You know, that, that keeps a closeness about death, which we've lost. In some ways, that accounts for our fear of death. It's never pretty. I mean, you, 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 it's never pretty, but it is from time to time calm. And when you've been with people who have died or been with them, sometimes there is this great sense of relief, not just because suffering is over, but because... Somebody has persevered until the end. Well, when we sort of pull the body off the cross or we sort of flit by Good Friday um, you know, to Easter, things go badly. Nagel used to always say to me, you know, if you have to choose between Good Friday and Easter, take Good Friday. That is not the common view in the church. 
but I wish it would be a more common view for you. So I give you, I've given you a run of things. I did give you uh, the margin comment from this morning, but um, the sermon was so good you couldn't possibly have taken time to re- read it yet. So I just sort of give you, I mean, I mean, believe me, you can get a bad sermon. We know, we know why these are here, okay? But just, just read this with me. There's, there's no infallibility flowing from the third floor here, all right? So when people tell me they're anxious or despairing, so now here's the thing. Remember my whole speech to you about every problem, 99% of the problems that come through the door are lonely and unloved? Lonely and unloved manifies, manifests itself often as anxious and despairing. When people tell their, me they're anxious or despairing, when people tell me they're addicted to alcohol or pornography, when people tell me that they can't focus, when people tell me or they say that they're feeling too alone, see, there it is. My advice is very simple. I tell them, get a crucifix. This is very key. Not a cross, a crucifix. Get a small one that can be kept directly in your desk. Right? And I just, you know what? I don't know where you work, but you can find one small enough that you can keep you know, in your desk. A substantial one. Get a crucifix that's substantial. Next time you're at a great cathedral, you know, go to the bookstore. European bookstores are fantastic. In fact, we should all go to Europe and buy crucifixes. That's what we should do. You should, you know, in Venice, the St. Mark's bookstore is genius. You know, you can buy, buy a crucifix. Almost any great cathedral will have a bookstore, and they always have some. Or, or museums. The other place is the Metropolitan Museum of Art is a great place to buy. They often make reproductions, both of the artwork, but of the pastor, plaster casts and also of the crucifixes, and also jewelry if it's your wife's birthday coming up. But you can, um, there's wonderful things you can buy, but buy something of substance, even if it's small, keep it on your desk. Why? Because you never know when it's going to come. Right? Get a small one that can be kept discreetly at your desk. Get an even smaller one for your pocket to carry with you. Get one for your home. I just tell you, you know, get one. Just get one. Keep the crucifix before your eyes, and it will teach you everything. It will train you to take the long view of things. That's actually true. There's nothing you can't learn from the cross. If you just pay attention, just pay attention, okay? And the thing is, if it's empty, if there's no body, then you have to make up the story on your own. This is just like like praying other people's prayers. If you only ever pray your own prayers, you have an impoverished prayer life. You always start with the Lord's Prayer. Always, always start with the Lord's Prayer because you know no matter what happens, you'll get it right. But pray other people's prayers because you, you can pray your own prayers too, but the world is much bigger than you and your brain and your heart. It's much bigger. Pray other people's prayers. That you, you'll pray for things that you never imagined you would pray for, right? So keep the crucifix before your eyes. It'll teach you everything. It'll train you to take the long view. The earthly goings-on that make us anxious and full of despair. And gosh, you know, for as great as it is to live where we live, people are anxious and full of despair. Right? The world is an anxious place. They're a manifestation of the Holy Spiritual War that precedes a pace. So, you know what? When you look up, you should, I talked to somebody this week who said that it was the most gorgeous thing. You know, she said, um, when I wake up, I say, thank God for the sunshine. When I look outside and it's raining, I say, thank God for the rain. We needed that too. When I'm um, there and people before me to do my work, I say, thank you for these people that you give me to work. This constant interaction. 
But the other side, of course, is there's also the constant press of darkness, especially this week. Lent has its own particular challenges. If you've done any fasting or tried to keep your prayer life uh, just a little bit stronger during Lent, you've certainly found this, that you've been pressed, you know, which is, of course, the whole point. The whole point is to press you then and then for you to take the next step. The darkness pushes on you. You push the darkness back. You don't do that alone. Hebrews 11, everybody's been doing that. That's how the story works until you finally come to rest. That's how the story works. Okay, we'll just keep going. If you need help, you should buy yourself a cross. The earthly goings-on that makes us anxious and full of despair are a manifestation of a holy spiritual war that proceeds apace. This, here's the thing. This is what people don't understand. The cure is tried to, we try to find the cure every place else but here. You have to see the world in this way or you'll, you'll always try to solve in a, different, in a different way. You have to see that what... I mean, it sounds, you know, positively pre-modern, medieval, early churches. Yes, indeed it is, because the Enlightenment has failed and we need to go backward before we go forward. So the world, I mean, it's just, it's just this easy. You know, the world is filled with angels and demons. It really, really is. And they have you as a target. So, continually, though, unseen, all around us. When we buy into it, that is, into despair and anxiousness, when we buy into it and lose hope, we're opening ourselves up to the spiritual oppression meant to cast us into the darkness and away from the light. So I've often said this to you, if you complain, you tell the demons exactly where to attack you. When you gossip, you show your weak points, right? When you harangue at people, you might as well just open the gates contrasted with your prayers that begin in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that becomes privileged communication. It's like you're putting insulation around a wire. You can't; Those prayers cannot be heard by the demons. Now, it is nice to pray out loud and fill the room with Jesus' name. So, you know, it's this, it's this combination of Jesus' name fills the air and protects you. On the other hand, if you say to God, this is what I really struggle with, this is where I'm really weak, this is the thing that could kill me, the demons can't hear that. It's privileged communication between you and God. So you can speak to protect yourself, and you can speak to beg God's protection. But when you complain, when you gossip, when you, when you despair, when you're open, you, you show the darkness where to roll in. Okay, it's, a, it's important. This is why a disciplined tongue makes a difference. When we buy into it, when we lose hope, we're opening ourselves up to spiritual oppression meant to cast us into the darkness and away from the light. See? Angels and demons, light and darkness. Life is really simple. Because the main battle is supernatural. That, you see, is what's, uh, that you see is what's been lost. We recognize it in our spirit. And that, you see, is the way into people. This is the way into people who have despaired. I, just, I read, uh, well, I was reading Teen Vogue yesterday. How else am I going to keep up? And uh, I was reading a description of sexual politics with which I'd prefer not to. Yeah. (laughs) Polite company march, right? But I was thinking to myself, uh, and it was the, you know, this is the whole notion of, and this is, you know, where things are being fought out on many fronts. But really, what's happening is a redefinition um, under the, you'll hear it under the name social construct. So we construct our own reality. We even construct our own sexuality. So, 
You know, there is no born male, female. There's just preferences that you engage and construct. And even your anatomy no longer, even descriptions of your anatomy, is fascinating, no longer hold. Um, so it's the, it's the sexuality that you construct. Now, just sort of put that away for another day because you'll need that someday if you have kids or grandkids. But uh, because this is what they're being taught, right? So this is another, but I was thinking about just the, just the process behind that. The process behind that is, is if there is no God, the enlightenment, if there is no God, then there is no creator. And if there is no creator, nothing is pre-assigned. It's only what we all collectively decide to be. And then every element of our lives becomes politics or more. Every element of our lives becomes majorities and minorities. And one of the things we've learned over the course of history is when minorities become majorities, they are ruthless, right? It's very difficult for, for an oppressed minority to become a generous majority. So, you know, if you start to think that way, you see how high the stakes are in terms of, you know, how the world is being completely redefined as a social construct. You should read Teen Vogue. I mean, I'm just telling you, it's all right right there in front of you. I'm not kidding you. I was was also thinking to myself, this is interesting because this is not the sort of thing I would print off to read with you because, you know, it's just, it's too gritty. But I thought, you know, so what's the, you know, what's the Teen Vogue, um, what's the Teen Vogue demographic? Who are they aiming at? I mean, girls between 11 and 14, right? Is that about, about right? Uh, a little, maybe a little older. I'm not sure. <laughs> really? Mm-hmm. Well, I slipped into my regular Vogue subscription about 14, 15, so. <laughs> the things you find out about your spouse, right? Okay, so anyway. Just read it in that way. See, the thing is, if you, don't have, if, you don't have a, if you don't have some sort of a template to read the world, so this is a, every week we try to do this for you. This is what Hebrews is trying to do. It's trying to give you this template. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our, of our faith. Who, you know, he's going to the cross, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. The template in the scriptures is, Jesus loves you, Jesus wants to save you. As bad as it gets, Jesus will endure for you, and you can endure too. How do you know? Because Jesus goes through the cross to a better resurrection. That's the end of chapter 12. You have a template for the world. This is light. This is darkness. This is right. This is wrong. This is divine. This is not. This is spiritual attack. This is spiritual blessing. If you don't have some sort of template like this, you're just the victim of the last best idea that persuaded you. So you really need to develop some sort of template for going through your life. Fortunately, the scriptures provide it, you know, on a regular basis. This is how the world works, okay? When we buy into it and lose hope, we're opening ourselves up to a spiritual oppression meant to cast us into darkness and away from the light. Because the main battle is supernatural, we recognize it in our spirit. When people say, I'm unsatisfied, I'm oppressed, why are college students drunker than ever before? Uh, Because they go to church less than ever before? See, when you no longer confess that you have a heart, this is, this is what makes it horrible and great at the same time. When people, it makes it horrible because exactly the thing that would help people, they don't, they don't know that they even have. Like people don't have a soul. The people think they don't have a soul. If you don't think you have a soul, if you don't think you have a heart, why does your heart hurt? See? So the, ver- the thing that is the greatest problem is also the easiest way in. Now, if you yell at them, if you throw your hands up and say you're not one of us, 
You know, if you do all the things we've talked about over the past few years, you'll get zero traction. But if you can say something merciful like, Jesus knows all about that, or I can show you the way out, or into the light, or home, then there's the possibility, you see. Kids do, people do the craziest things in order to still their heart, right? I mean, the, the pain is this great indicator that the heart is still there. All right, well, so let's, let's just keep going, all right? We recognize it in our spirit, our hearts hurt. We feel it in our spirit, and then when the oppression is too great, we either try to numb ourselves to it, or we allow our spirits and our faith to collapse completely. Better to arm the spirit so that regardless of what happens, despair never enters into the equation. Never enters into you because you understand that God's hand is still a part of all things. Come what may, I'm in God's hands. Right? Come what may, I'm in God's hands. That we are never abandoned because we have been told that he is with us to the end of all things. That's pure Hebrews 11 and 12. So if you do not have a crucifix, get one. Get a couple of them and have them blessed. We'd be happy to bless them for you. Then study them. Take a long, hard look at what is before your eyes. Ask God to show you what you need to know. Ask for what Solomon asked for, an understanding heart. The literal Hebrew there is a heart with ears. Solomon's prayer is, give me a heart with ears. It's crazy, huh? When you're looking, realize that everything that you are feeling, all the things that are weighing on you, old ones and new ones, vulnerabilities, disappointments, injustices, betrayals, mockeries, even hunger and thirst, have been experienced by Jesus Christ. This is the greatest thing. This is why when people say to you, where was Jesus when the bomb blew up in Istanbul this week? Where was Jesus on 9-11? Where was Jesus when somebody gets killed in a car crash? The answer is, he was right there. If you can find a worse place, if you can find a worse way to kill somebody than crucifixion, you should let me know. I mean, part of the reason Jesus gets crucified is so nobody can say, I have it worse. You're hung up naked in front of people who are taunting you. You're beaten up just enough to make you submissive, but not enough to kill you. In fact, there's a famous uh, passage in Josephus where um, he goes out to battle with a German army. Jew- Josephus was a Jew. He, he's famous historian of just after Jesus' time. Uh, round about Jesus' time, he goes out to battle, and one of his servants gets caught up somehow and gets crucified. He comes back two or three days later, and his servant is still hanging on the cross. And the guy's like, that's my guy, what happened here? And they actually take the guy down, and he lives. But he's been hanging on a cross for two or three days with the birds picking at him and, the, and people scorning him. and stand. I mean, you, can, you can't, it'd be very difficult. I mean, short of the guy who got skinned alive and fried in a frying pan last week. I mean, that's a close second, maybe. I mean, getting your head chopped off is kind of like the easy way out at this point, right? So part of the reason, Jesus, if you think about what just pay attention this week. Pay attention to what happens. Pay attention to the readings. Jesus suffers everything that you've suffered and worse. He is betrayed by his best friends. He's left by everybody. The very people who should love him are kissing him to mark him for death. You just, you just watch what happens to Jesus. Talk about being alone and unloved. Talk about being in despair, 
right? And this is why when you, when you get to your hell, whatever your hell is, Jesus will be there waiting for you, right? You can't despair worse than Jesus does on the cross. Whatever despair you're in, when you get there, Jesus is there waiting for you. Whatever you suffer, whatever your betrayal is, Jesus will be saying that. Say, he'll, he'll be there waiting for you, saying things like, ooh, I know, I went through this too, or ooh, this is really painful. Back when it happened to me, I... Right? That's what's going to happen. Because it's a lie for a Christian to ever say that they're alone. Because you're baptized and Jesus is with you. Whatever your darkest thing is, there he is, right? And even if you can't see him, guess what? The word who speaks words pierces the darkness. It's the great thing about having words, that the darkness can't hurt words. I love you, you're mine, follow me, right? This is great stuff. He has known, he has known it all, he has borne it all, he suffers with you and for you and permits you to join in his sacrifice. That's what Luther says, you're cemented to him in the Eucharist. And thus is victory. When you get Jesus, you get it all, right? You do get Good Friday, but you get Easter as well. While you are meditating, it's very possible that you'll be tempted to distraction, this happens to me all the time in the service. I presume it happens to you too. One of the great things about, usually sometimes it's salutary, sometimes it's not. What happens in the, in the liturgy, this happens in the liturgy, it'll happen in your, so I just, if you've done, if you chose meditation of some sort for your discipline during Ash Wednesday, we talked about you know, meditation a lot two years ago or three years ago. So if you chose that, what you'll often find is the competition, the noble competition arrives, Right? One of the great things about having a structured liturgy is that you, if you get lost halfway through, um, you can come back to us and sort of pick it right back up. Right? And often what happens is salutary. You'll start to think about, you know, we might confess and you start thinking about how horrible you've been. And you might not be done thinking about that by the time 31 seconds later when we get to the amen. Frankly, some of you might be horrible enough. You need to think about that for a couple of more minutes, Okay. <laughs> But you don't worry, because around about the epistle, we're willing to take you back, right? And that's what happens in the liturgy. You can, you can lean, now, you can also lean out in a non-salutary way. You can start thinking about people you hate and don't want to sit by. You can start thinking about you know, you know, your family and how the high holy days are often uh, an increase in pressure because everybody's around the same table, and now you've got to fake it again, Right? Yeah, I know, not with you. I mean, your other relatives do that, right? So, uh, you know... You can, but, and, but all that needs to be forgiven. All that needs to be gathered up. Guess what? When you come back, Jesus is here waiting for you, right? While you're meditating, it's very possible you'll be tempted to distraction. Now, the great thing about this is the practicality of it. This is where, you know, Lutherans, when they left behind the spiritual disciplines, they left behind often the identification of sin and also the way out. And so what happened then is for a while people understood it, but then they're like, I'm in despair and I don't know what to do. Get a crucifix. Like, I'm distracted, I don't know what to do. Get a crucifix. There are other ways out too, but at least for today, here it is. When you're meditating, it's very possible you'll be tempted to distraction. That's what the monks call, the monks are great, bad thoughts, right? (laughs) This may happen. What's your confession? I have bad thoughts, right? Sinful thoughts, anxious thoughts, right? So sinful thoughts, active, I hate somebody, anxious, ooh, they're after me again, right? When they arrive, follow St. Benedict of Nursery's instruction in his holy rule. This is great. When evil thoughts come into one's heart, dash them at once against Christ the rock. Now, this is really great practical advice. Just try this this week, okay? 
Just see what will happen to you. Imagine when you have bad thoughts. Imagine this week when you have a bad thought about anybody. You know, I've often suggested you pray for them. That's one way out. Here's another way out. Take that bad thought, own it, and smash it against a crucifix. Imagine yourself crashing them against the crucifix and they shatter. Right? That crucifix with a body on it, that is, that is harder, stronger, greater than whatever your bad thoughts happen to be. It's a great image for what happens. So this week, I just, you know, in the course of this week when temptations often come, right? Smash it against the crucifix. See what happens. Imagine yourself crashing them against the crucifix until they shatter. I sometimes think guilt and self-loathing is the default mode for too many of us. Many of you are really good at being guilty. Remember the old thing? No sin, no guilt. No sin, no guilt. That's the cure. I sometimes think guilt and self-loathing is the default mode for too many of us, and I certainly carry my share. And yet, when I concentrate on the crucifix, I feel only known. Now, I think this is a Catholic writing this, but that is pure Lutheran stuff. You know, do I know God enough? Am I good enough at this? Am I praying well enough? Am I meditating enough? Is my fasting good enough? How am I doing? Do I know him? Do I care? When I meditate on the crucifix, I feel only known. Someone else knows me. Someone else loves me. It's not about me. It's about him. Reward is thanks God. I'm sorry. Gift is thanks God and reward is thanks me. Right? Perfect. It all fits together. I feel only known. Fully, wholly known by the one, big O, whom I have come to understand is big A, all, big L, love. And so guilt and self-loathing have no hold there. If you feel guilty, Jesus loves you. If you um, loathe yourself, Jesus cares for you. Or as I saw last week on a church sign, which I am happy to attribute to a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod church, Hipster Jesus loved you before you were cool. I mean, in Romans 8, 5, it's like, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But it's the same thing. Hipster Jesus loved you before you were cool. While we were still uncool, hipster Jesus loved us. That's great, man. There's hope for the Missouri Senate yet. And so guilt and self-loathing have no hold. There's only a deep wellspring of consolation. Look closely and consider the letters above them. You know, she cheats a little here, but close enough. You know, intimate, near, reassuring, instructive. Buy yourself a crucifix, that's your... Now, even when I only do one page, I can't get done. Let me just look at this, okay? I just want to see it. Oh, yeah, all I have is these other things to do. Um, You got questions about any of this? You can read these other ones yourself. But I just give you this as your, you know, kind of your assignment for Holy Week. The darkness often comes... Lent has its own special temptations. You push against the light for six weeks. Darkness pushes back against you. People struggle. Things come to light. You see horrible things about yourself. You often feel very alone. Buy yourself a crucifix. It needs a body. The body will come off soon enough, but the body is the thing that shatters, that actually shatters the sinfulness that surrounds you. So it's a very practical thing. Um, Give it a try. All right, uh, see you at church this week. It'll be a glorious, glorious week. Thanks to all of you for, who've been preparing. Music will be fantastic. And, and the guys, Pastor Nelson is just fantastic to work with, and Pastor Bukes as well. It's just great to, um, it's great to work with, and everybody else around here. It's really good. It's going to be a really great week. Tend yourself 
And um, try to come as you're able. Try to come to the Eucharist on Monday, Thursday if you can, and try to come Good Friday. It's, uh, you know, Good Friday is the most highly attended service of the year, single service. So come early. Uh, you can't come often. It's only once. But, you know, come early and get, get a spot, and then we'll see you through the weekend, okay? Thanks. It's great. I'm going to see you back here, not next week, not the following week, but then the second week of Easter, okay? Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. See you soon.